All right, so to get into my message here, um, remember our main verse was found in John 15, 12 through 17. And this is what it says. It says, this is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love no one has than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give to you. This command, this I command you, that you love one another. And so I, I hope you, you took the week and, and you went back over that verse maybe this week. Um, again, especially with everything that's going on right now. Jesus has commanded us to love one another. Nowhere in that verse does it say, love those who are like you. Love those who voted for the same person you did. It said that you will love one another. In fact, in another place in the Bible, it says, they will know you're my disciple by your love. That's the danger that we've been playing lately in our worldly thought process. Is somehow we've morphed all of this into something it's never meant to be. And I have a friend, and, and a few of you know him, who've talked about, has talked a lot about recently, we're sojourners. We're just travelers moving through this world to our heavenly home. And he talks about how we've lost that identity. Well, this evening what I want to talk about goes with that because as we've gone through and started dealing with this, this thought process is how do we love people then who are over-the-top needy? How do we love people? Because we know we're supposed to love them. We know we're supposed to care about them. You want to help them, but every time you help them, it seems they always want more. You can never give them enough whether it's enough time, whether it's enough money, whether it's enough advice. It, it's never enough. They always want more, and they feel like they're constantly just draining your life out of you a little bit at a time because you know when they walk up, when they come up to you, already in the back of your head, you're thinking, this conversation is going to take longer than it needs to. I know they're just going to complain about something and how negative everything is, and it just before the conversation starts, the, the life is just draining out of you. How many of you guys have people like that in your life? It's okay. Hopefully they're not with you tonight. Um, <laughs> you know, it's that relative. You love them, but they just need more support. You know, it, it seems like they always need more support. You got that friend who's always in need, of, in need of just a little more money. Or you have that office worker or that some person you work with who's always fishing for compliments. You know, do I look good? Did I do a good job? How does this outfit make me look? Now, if your wife's ask you that, husbands don't ever answer that because that is a trick question. Say, it, you're beautiful. That's, that's your answer right there. Nothing else. But, and you all probably have that friend that's a hot mess. You know, nothing seems to be going right in their world. It's just all over the place crazy. That's where it gets complicated as followers of Christ. Because everything about you is we want to love the unlovable. 
But everything about these situations makes you want to run screaming. And so we have to find that balance in there. And we're going to look at some scriptures tonight where Jesus starts talking about this and, and how Jesus taught his disciples to deal with needy people. You see, we want to care about people and we want to help, and, but we, we don't want to pull back from them, but we feel guilty when we do. You know, somebody calls, and I had to learn this early on in ministry. I can get phone calls all times of the day, all times of the night, because a lot of times when people are fishing for compliments and they're fishing for what they really need is to find their own identity in Christ. See, when I first got saved, and again, maybe it's just my personality, but when I first got saved, I went to counseling, I got help, I got people who came alongside me and helped, but the one thing I did that I'm not seeing happen as much anymore is I dug into Scripture by myself. I didn't have anybody telling me what to do. I started doing studies on experiencing God by myself. Why? Because I wanted to know God more. I didn't want somebody else to have to tell me about it. I wanted him. I started digging into worship studies on my own without anybody else. Because my whole faith, my whole journey is based on what do I do with it, not what do other people do me with it. And see, it's not happening as much anymore because as a culture, we've decided it's better to just keep giving handouts. Come to this next thing and we'll teach you more stuff. But even through all that teaching, you never make it personal. We have to start making our faith walk personal. Saying, guess what? I'm going to read my Bible every day. I don't need somebody else once a week to tell me what to read. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to read. God, reveal to me what I need to know. Because that's the best way to learn. The big question for today is what if the help we are giving those needy people is actually robbing them and hurting them? And in the process, we can end up hurting ourselves as well. How do we love those who are always in need in a way that actually does lift them up without hurting them? See, there's three big thoughts we're going to walk through tonight on how to help others without actually hurting them. The first one is when we give, we want to give strategically. I mean out of that is we have to learn to listen to the Holy Spirit and give what God wants to give them, not give out of emotion. Because how do we normally help needy people? It's an emotional response to try to fill the need they think they have. And so what we want to do is we want to flip the script on them and we want to start giving what God wants to give them. Because here's the problem when I think I'm everyone's solutions to their problem, I have a really small God. I was never meant to fill everyone's need. Jesus was. Because see, what we do when somebody has a need is we do what's easy, don't we? Somebody needs some money, what do we do? We give them money. Somebody needs some time, what's the easy thing to do? Fine, I'll stop doing this and I'll come over here and help you. We give emotionally. 
We don't necessarily give strategically. And the sad part about that is most of the time when we're doing that, we're doing it to relieve our own guilt. Because they're needy and we don't know how to help them. So if I just give them some money, I'll feel better. The problem with this emotional giving is it's not prayerful and it's not strategic. If you turn to Acts 3, we're going to read a story here about um, Peter and John and how they gave strategically to someone who thought he needed something else. Y'all going to get there? Y'all going to know the story? It's, are y'all there? Okay, sweet. It says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed fixed his gaze on him and said, Look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. Get up and walk. See, in these verses we have a guy who's used to getting what he wanted. Some friends, family members, whoever it was, every day would walk him and set him in front of the gate to beg for money. And he knew, because of habit, if I ask long enough, ask hard enough, and ask persistent enough, somebody will give it to me. But what happened in this story is Peter and John were on the way to do their daily habits of spending time with God and praying at the temple. This dude's doing what he's always done. And all of a sudden, in the middle of that, he got something he never expected. He got a miracle. See, Peter and John didn't give him what he wanted. They gave him what he needed, Jesus. He thought he needed money, but what he needed was Jesus. Because if you continue to read the story, what happens? Dude gets up, they grab him by the hands, he stands up, he's instantly healed. He starts running around praising God. Now, the problem with that thought process is, guess what? Religious people didn't like it. Now, does that mean they did something wrong just because church people weren't happy with them? No, they did exactly and strategically what God had called them to do. See, often we respond to needy people by doing what's easy. In this story, what would have been easy is Peter and John either to walk by and ignore them. Because have, have any of you guys ever done that? You know, you see that person, you just look the other way. Don't make eye contact. They don't see me, they won't talk to me. Y'all did it. Don't, don't, it's okay. Or you drive up in St. Cloud, you drive up one of the streets, and there's somebody standing on the street corner, and they're begging for money in you, your car, and you're just like, and you look out of the corner of your eyes, see if it turned green yet. And you're just sitting there. You're ignoring it, right? Or what do you do? You reach in your pocket, see, I got, I got a couple bucks, I give them that. That make me feel good. See, I helped. But did I really? There's a story, um, in fact, that Craig Rochelle tells of, of a guy who was homeless. And what they did was, over time, made a relationship with him. He was always standing on the street begging for money. And over time, as they kept doing this, they started asking him, dude, what's your dream? What do you want out of life? What can we, what, how can we help you reach that? 
And the dude, like, well, I, I enjoy landscaping. I enjoy mowing lawns. So they helped him get a lawnmower. Oh, from that, he built his own landscaping business. They gave him what he, what he needed, not what he wanted. They gave strategically. They didn't just try to fill a need right there. See, that's why we want to be led by the Holy Spirit. That's why we talk about here being led by the Spirit. So when you walk up and start talking to somebody, or you walk up and start seeing somebody, and there's a need that's there, and, and, and like Jesus. Now, Jesus never felt pity on anybody. Every time you look at it, it said Jesus had compassion on them. Here's a thought. What if we quit thinking people were projects and they were people of love? We always want to fix everybody. When God said, love them, people aren't projects. People are God's children, and we're called to love them. And it's not our job to fix them. It's Jesus' job. See, as the story, as the story plays out, what happened at the end of the day is they changed the narrative. They didn't see a guy who was there lame from birth. They saw a son of God that needed to be healed. When we look at people, do we see sons and daughters of God who are hurting and need Jesus? You look around today. Have you ever seen so much disunity, so much hopelessness, so many broken relationships, so many things going on in our world? We are, it, the world honestly, I believe, is ripe for a revival if we start following Jesus. We got to stop making excuses on why we can't do something and start saying, God, help us get it done. See, that, that is my personality. I'll warn any of you guys that are new, any of you don't know me. I do not like excuses. Help me figure out how to make it happen. I don't want to hear why we can't do something. I want to hear how we're going to make it done, make it happen. Trusting God the whole way, don't hear me wrong. But that is just my personality. Is I don't believe God ever expected us to use excuses on why we couldn't do something. Otherwise, he wouldn't be God. Because he says what? My strength is made perfect in your weakness. So if I say I can't do something sweet, God can and guess what? The world sees it. And then guess what? People come to Jesus. And so when a needy person comes to you and, and that moment you start to try to give them what they really want, <laughs> here again, kind of like we talked like last week about controlling people when you say, hey, that's not appropriate. I'm not going to take it anymore. They're going to double down on that threat. Same thing happens here with needy people. When you say, hey, I'm not going to give you what you want, but I'm going to give you what you really need, they flip the script. Well, well, slow down now. I don't need that. This is what I want. I don't need that. And see, that's what a needy person will do. They know what they want, not what they need. Now, in the process of serving these needy people, what happens is a lot of times our own needs come out. And that's why I say we're not only robbing them, but we can be robbing us as well. Because as I reach out and help people and give strategically, what can happen is God starts to revealing my needs. 
and how there are, you know, it may be I just needed to stop time with somebody so that they could speak into my life as well. And through the story of what's gone on in their life, my life now gets what it needed was that hope that might have been missing because I hear a story of what God did. See, because what a needy person will do is says, if you don't give me attention, you don't love me. If you don't give me what I want, then you don't really love me. That's what a needy person will do. I don't know if it's ever happened to any of you, but okay, it's happened to me. So that's okay. It doesn't have to happen to you. When we give strategically, what can happen is we see God leading us and our faith will grow. You see, a lot of times what we got to say is, I'm not going to tell you what you want to hear, but God, give me the courage to lovingly say what they need to hear. Because see, too often we're worried about hurting feelings when there's freedom on the backside of those feelings. We just have to be bold enough to share it. Now, don't say it in a mean way, please. <laughs> not what I'm saying. Lovingly share the fact that this is how I might have made it through that same situation. Because there's a story that I was reading this week about this, and it was Christmas time. And have any of you guys ever adopted a family for Christmas? We adopted somebody as a church last year as Christmas. Well, a pastor that, um, that I read about had done just that. And Christmas Eve, they came over and they delivered a bunch of toys to this family. And the kids were excited. And everything seemed to be going well until the husband stood up, walked over to the corner and sat down and was ashamed. Why? Because he had lost his job. He couldn't provide for his family. And unknowingly, they caused him to feel shame. Instead of going to him, and this is what he said, what we've done, in the, what we've done since then is they've gone up and said to the dad, how much have you saved for Christmas? And say, if they save $100, they're like, can we match it? Or can we give you some more so you can go bless your kids? And you make that parent now the hero of those kids. You've now given them what they need and that is a little bit of hope that they didn't have. So unknowingly, he stole his hope, thinking he was doing the right thing. And too often we do that. Too often we steal the blessing from someone else by bailing them out all the time. You see, I'm not just going to do what someone wants me to do. I'm going to try to do what's right. I'm not just going to tell you what you want to hear all the time, but I'm lovingly, lovingly, hopefully, going to tell you what you need to hear. Because we love them, we're not going to give them what they want, but we're going to give them what they need. We're going to listen, spend time with God, pray, and find out what is the best thing we can do with this. With this. The second thing we're going to do is we're going to serve wisely. Mark 1.35 says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Have any of you guys ever felt like that? 
You know, you try to get off on your own for just a half a second, and all of a sudden, everybody and their grandma. Okay, if you got kids, just try going to the bathroom. Everyone's, what's going on? But think about it this way. All Jesus was trying to do was to go off by himself to pray. Why? Because he's setting the example for us that we need to recharge ourselves with the Father before we can go and serve his children. If I'm not recharged, how do I keep giving? Think about it this way. When you go on a, have all you guys been on an airplane? Okay. If you haven't been on an airplane, part of their, their little spiel they give is what? If we start to go down, these oxygen masks are going to fall from the ceiling. Parents, put yours on first before you put on your kids. Why do they do that? Because if the parent's dead, the kid never going to figure it out. We have to take care of us before we can take care of others. So we have to serve wisely. We have to remember. It, you, you can't say yes all the time to people. You have to occasionally say no. And that's where through counsel with Emil and stuff and some other pastors, Mondays for me a lot of times is, is a day, half a day off of doing nothing. Because if I'm not, and I don't think about Sunday nights, I, I just think about God and then pray about everything that I think we should be doing. Um, but I have to spend time worshiping. I have to spend time reading. I have to spend time by myself with God so he can recharge me so I can see and hear from him. Because if I don't see and hear from him, how do I help somebody when they need it? It's why we talk about prayer so much. It's why we talk about as a church when we pray together for blessings for us. Why? Because I can't bless others unless I'm blessed. So I need Jesus before I can go give Jesus. And so we ask God, when we get together to pray, we ask God to bless our church. Not for us, for everybody who's not here. Because as we're closer to God, people are drawn closer to God. So we, we, we give strategically, we pray, we spend that time, and then, then we serve wisely, and so we're going to spend time with God so we can get recharged. We're not just going to give people everything they want. We're just not going to constantly do those things that they want. But the, here's the key to the third one that wraps it all together is the third step in this is after you've given strategically or after you try to serve right, wisely is you trust God completely with the outcome. Uh, yeah, that deserved an amen, but I'm not sure y'all got that. We got to trust God. We're, we're not the answer. He is. We just said it. I believe you are the way, the truth, and the life. If we believe that, how can we possibly think we have everybody's answer? We're not. We're called to follow Jesus. And then we may be the vessel he uses to show someone an answer. But then we got to be bold enough to say what they need, not what they want. That's the joy of being a Christian right there. You're going to upset some people. Because you're not going to give everybody what they want. See, we want to help people the way God leads us to help them. And then we give it to him. We trust him with the consequences. 
because it gets really dangerous, and I, and I want to say it's insulting to God if you think you're someone else's answer. Let me say that again. It is insulting and dangerous to think you're someone else's answer to their problem. When at the end of the day, as the followers of Christ, we should know Jesus is the only answer. I'm almost there. Okay. You're not the source that can meet everyone else's needs. And again, it dishonors God to say that we are necessary in every case to see that every need is met. If you think God needs to fix, if you think God needs you to fix everyone else's problem, your God is too small. God does not need you to fix any, everyone else's problem. He's called you for a specific purpose. So spend time hearing from him. See, we are not someone else's answer. Jesus is the answer. We're the conduit. We're the delivery system. But he is the power. In Galatians 6, 7, it says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. In the story of the prodigal son, essentially what that son's saying is, you're not going to die quick enough, so give me my money. Yeah, what he's saying, because it was his inheritance, he couldn't get it until he died. He's like, well, you're not going to die anytime soon, so just give me my money so I can go do whatever I want. What does the father do? He gave it to him. And what did he, the kid do? He blew it. He ran through that money like it was nobody's business. But here's where this story, I think, differs from a lot of today. Is the father loved the son enough to let the God-given consequences of his choices play out. We want to rescue everyone today. We don't want to see them get hurt, so we want to stop them from falling. We want to give them money so they don't have to go into debt. We want to take all their problems. We want to take our kids and say, oh, no, you can't get in trouble. Let me save you from that one. When the very blessing God has is on the other side of that consequence. See, in this story, what happened is what ha the, 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 the kid wakes up in a pig pen. Now, as a parent, I don't want to see my kids go through that. But do I trust God completely? Or do I think I need to rescue him? We want to rescue him. And God is saying, it's, it's, the, it's a principle that God's had forever of sowing and reaping. You make a choice, there's a consequence for that choice. You make a decision, there's a consequence for that decision. We need to understand rescuing is not always helping. It may be hurting them from learning the lesson God needs to teach them. See, we love in the name of Jesus, and we look at people like they're not projects that we need to help, but because ultimately one day what we're going to realize is that we are needy also. That same Jesus I've been talking about the whole time is the same Jesus we need every day. And that's why we can't look at someone else as a project. Why? Because somebody can look at me then as a project. And I am a project. I'm a big project. 
Thankfully, I got a big God, and he can deal with the stuff I need to do. But guess what? I have friends. I have mentors who speak into my life, and they don't always tell me what I want to hear. I sometimes get offended by what they tell me. And then I have to go home and apologize and pray and ask for forgiveness because of my pride that got in the way from me hearing what I needed to hear from that, that person and something I needed to change. See, again, it's really easy to look at other people through a window than look at Scripture as a mirror. See, this book is all about Jesus from beginning to end. Do I let it reflect on me what needs to change? Because again, I've been talking about helping other people when God all the time is saying, I sent my son because you needed him. I sent my son because the world needs him. See, so instead of seeing myself as the one who meets someone else's need or someone else who meets my need, suddenly I start to realize that as a part of the family of God, we just continue to point each other to Jesus, and then Jesus is the one that meets our needs. Suddenly I realize that I can't really experience God's presence on my own. See, I can, I can spend time with God and I can have a good time, but guess what? These times we have together in the presence of God is so much sweeter. Why? Because God has called us to be a family. See, we need each other. It's a personal relationship with Jesus, yes, but I, it's also a shared one with every other believer. Because Jesus, or the Bible says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. When we lock hands and we pray together, there's something that happens. When we pray for each other, there's something that happens in a spiritual realm that I can't battle on my own. But when I pray with somebody else, the Holy Spirit steps in in a different way. See, when I pray for someone else, when I'm going through stuff, it takes the burden of my stuff off and starts trusting Jesus. See, we, we, at the end of the day, what we need to look at is that we're all equally broken. We're all equally needy people. But that's exactly how we make Jesus known, is by the way we love each other. When we understand that we're broken and that we're needy and that people aren't going to come to Christ because we have the coolest theology or we have the most contemporary music or we sound the best or we have the coolest lights or we have the coolest building, they're going to come to Jesus when they start seeing a real authentic love for each other. Even those you don't agree with. Because if all you do is hang out with people you agree with, I'm going to challenge you this week to hang out with people you don't. And that'll be a good litmus test where your follower, where your love for Jesus is. How long it take you to get upset? Trust me, this last week, me and Jesus spent a lot of time while I was sitting in a deer stand praying about that very thing because I'm like, some of this stuff takes me like two seconds. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. This world is nuts. And yet, as my partner today was napping in a deer stand, I had time to pray and say, okay, God, guess what? I need more of your love in me so I can give it away. Because when people see 
a true representation of a Jesus who died on a cross for us while we were still his enemy. We're going to see a transformation and revival that the world has not seen in a long time. I'm not talking a six-month, 12-month movement of God. I'm, seeing, I'm saying heart transformations that are seeing lives changed, that are seeing God move, that is going to change lives, change communities, change families, and draw people closer together than they've ever been with no end in sight. Because I don't believe revival ever should end. It should just take on the next step. I'm not praying for revival in general because it starts with me. It starts with each and every one of us. True revival starts when the church hears from God. And then they go out and are the hands and feet of Jesus.